Welcome to church. This morning, we're continuing our new sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Doug will be going through Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11, with his message titled, What Really Matters. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. Head to calvarycommunity.ca slash serve to see how you can get involved here. On the page, we have different ministries you can join, engage with community, and see a little about what's going on here at Calvary. We're so glad you could join us today. Welcome to church. What an exciting place to be this morning. And I say that with all, with all sincerity, like it's a privilege to have each one of you with us. If you're brand new or you're one of our seasoned family, uh, we're so glad to have you with us. And it's, it's great for me to be back in church. I was off for a couple of weeks after a very uh, busy season and my wife and I went camping for about eight days and we had between about zero bars and one bar on our phones and uh, probably about one bar of Wi-Fi. And so it was really attempting, or it was really frustrating to try and attempt to watch the Sunday morning service. And uh, so it's just plain, it's just so good to be back here in person. And I don't know if you realize this, but do you know that as pastors and, and staff here, we have probably about this much influence in making this feel like a welcoming place and a a family. Do you know that all of you have the greatest influence in making this a wonderful experience for people, a wonderful welcoming place for people? So I would encourage you to go out, get out of your comfort zone, be bold, say hi to someone you've never met before, maybe engage in a little conversation with them, and help them to see that this is an awesome family, an awesome community where they are loved and where they are welcome. So I'm Pastor Doug, and today we'll be continuing our series uh, from Philippians. And the title of my message is, What Really Matters? What Really Matters? And I'll be covering uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we invite you into this service this morning. We pray that we have ears to hear what you want to say to us 
and that our hearts are open to receive from you. And we just pray your blessing and your protection over the word that is shared today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, loving people isn't easy. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're done. Let's close in prayer. All joking aside, though, if I asked you this morning to think of someone who is hard to love, how many of you could? Right? Yeah, I know. It might be even more than one person. Is it the person sitting that? No, never mind. Don't answer that, okay? So how do we love someone who is hard to love? What if they're a vow breaker? What if they're a a backstabber? What if they're mean? What if they're hot-headed? What if they are always critical? Well, conventional wisdom says that if you have a lack of love, that it implies a lack of effort. So just try harder. Just dig deeper. Just determine, grit your teeth and determine to be that, to love that unlovable person, even if it kills us and it just may do that. But what if we are missing some steps? So about six months ago, a close friend had some concerns about their vehicle. And it was here on site, so I offered to drive it around the block to see if I could notice anything unusual. And it's so interesting and so fascinating that when you get into someone else's vehicle, you learn so much about them, especially by what they're listening to. So did I immediately start to bebop to some 80s music? No. Were my mind and soul stimulated by classical music or or talk radio? No. Did I enter and feel God's presence through worship music? No. Just the opposite. Country music poured through the speakers and I almost lost my salvation. Now... Our sound guy this morning is an amazing country music artist, so he might cut me off at any point, any point, but, and don't worry, we'll have prayer for country music lovers after the service, so, um, so seriously though, I thought this friend, and I went, I won't mention her name is Tammy, um, <laughs> is so spiritual, such a prayer warrior that maybe I was the problem. Maybe I wasn't hearing from God. So I did what any good Christian does, and I googled country music and prayer. And I found a song called Pray For You. How perfect. Paul is praying for the Philippians. So this will work so nicely with my message. And as it's a song about praying for people who are difficult to love, In this case, his ex-girlfriend, I thought this is so touching. And the song goes like this. I haven't been in church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. 
So good. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and you just pray for them. I'm like, wow, I've been so wrong about country music. (laughs) Then the chorus came and it says, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to do. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. So, I rest my case. Anyways, how many of you think that we can do better when it comes to praying for and loving one another? Right? I agree. So, over the last couple weeks, we've seen from Pastor Barry and Pastor Bev how much Paul loves the church. And especially in Philippi, they loved him, and and we've seen how Paul is praying for them. And in pretty much every letter to every church, Paul includes a prayer for who he's writing to. So he was constantly praying for those he had oversight of, much like a parent would pray for their children. He prayed for the new believers. He prayed for the new churches. I bet he even prayed for his prison guards because it was such a significant part of who Paul was. And what he prayed about were the really the deeper heart issues, those things that he felt were important to their spiritual well-being. He prayed for those things that really mattered. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that the reason he fervently prayed and and taught and encouraged and corrected, even why he suffered and went to prison, because it was was to introduce the love of Christ to every person, and they would become more and more like Jesus. And in turn, they would take his message of love and hope to a broken and hurting world. So, What are those missing steps in loving others, in loving even difficult people? Well, these steps can be summed up in a short phrase. God's love to me, God's love through me. Can we repeat that together? God's love to me, God's love through me. Oh, and for the younger generation who communicates better through emojis, uh, we have the... N-G-Z-T, the New Gen Z translation. Thanks to our creative team for coming up with that. So we have God's love to me, God's love through me. Okay? So we're all on the same page. Uh, Please open your Bibles or devices to Philippians 1, 9 to 11, or you can follow along on the screen and we'll begin reading. So Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. 
May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So of all of the things Paul could have prayed for them about, of all of the things, why didn't he pray that they would overflow with faith or, or wisdom or grace or even courage? And why did he include knowledge and understanding? And how does this relate to what really matters? These are excellent questions, so let's explore some answers. Our first question is, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Well, the answer is everything. God's love is everything. Without God's love, we have nothing. Love is the ultimate expression of God. It's the ultimate nature of God. And it's the ultimate motivation of God. And it's the foundation upon which everything else rests. So not just knowing about God's love, but actually knowing and experiencing God's love in our lives. This is so important. In Ephesians, Paul says, I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and your life will be strong in love and built on that foundation of love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide and long and high and deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know, but I pray that you will be able to know it, to know that love. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul prays that we will be able to know this love, this special love of God in all its incredible facets and dimensions because if we don't know and experience God's love first in our own lives, then how will it flow through us to others? God's love to me, God's love through me. In Galatians 5, there's no coincidence that love is listed first as a fruit of the Spirit ahead of joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. And then in Colossians, we see that love is what holds everything else together. Colossians 3 says, show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Together with these things, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect unity. So why does Paul pray that they will have an overflowing amount of love as opposed to something else? Because love is the glue. Love is the mortar that binds us all together. 
And knowing God's love is the foundation for everything. So, what's love got to do with it? Number two, God's love gives us the strength to stand. So, as I was doing some research on this verse, there was another section of Scripture that, um, that came... Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it was another section of Scripture that came up that was very similar, and it was in 1 Thessalonians, and I've condensed the, the passage a little bit here. So, 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of your troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you've remained strong in the faith. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result, may God as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with his holy people. So notice the very similar language between this and Philippians where he's talking about overflowing love. He's talking about being blameless. He's talking about Christ's return. However, in the Thessalonians letter, he adds troubles and suffering. He, he throws that in the mix as well. And when you think about it, the context of all of Paul's letters to these churches is that they were under much persecution and they were paying a huge price for believing in Christ and for sharing God's love with other people. So like a father, he was very concerned for the persecution and suffering that his children, essentially, many of them new believers were going through. He knew that the only way they would have strength and endure such hard times was if they were filled with God's supernatural, and love, supernatural love and grace. And that's not a lot different from what we're facing today. That as persecution increases, as the cost of serving Christ and standing up for God's love and truth, um, the, as the cost becomes greater, we need more of an infilling of God's love to be able to stand. So as a prisoner for his faith, and arguably facing more persecution uh, and suffering than almost every believer, Paul was likely constantly challenged to pray for those who persecuted him, even as Jesus had commanded us to do so. So Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So to pray for and love your enemies, those who oppose you or talk horribly about you or treat you poorly like a friend or a relative or a neighbor or a spouse or a boss, I tell you what, I've walked through that almost had a nervous breakdown because of how horribly I was talked about and accused by my boss. So to pray for them, to bless them is countercultural. It's counterintuitive. And yet when we do, we introduce the overwhelming love of God and therefore his justice as well into the situation. So Paul knew as they faced more and more persecution, 
it would become harder and harder to respond in love. So what he's really praying is that they would be, that we would be filled and overflowing with the fullness of God and with the love of Christ so that we would be able to love as Christ loved. That is our prayer, that we would be so filled with the fullness of God and the love of Christ that we too are able to unconditionally love as Jesus loved. Even the most difficult people, even during the most difficult situations, God's love to me, God's love through me. So why did Paul pray that their love would overflow more and more? Well, one of the great misconceptions about love is that it's like this perpetual motion machine, that it's self-sustaining. It is so not so. Love must be fed and nurtured and cultivated, constantly renewed. Love requires great effort, great effort and lots of hard work and sacrifice. The Greek word here for agape, for love, is agape. And it's all about a deep, sacrificial love. It's the highest form of love that God initiated to us. It is literally the God of the universe leaving his throne and coming down to earth to walk among us in all of our brokenness and our pain. And so whatever you are going through, whatever I'm going through, whatever we have gone through or whatever we will go through, God understands and reaches to us with his perfect unconditional love. And then, if we choose to, because we have free will, if we choose to respond, and hopefully we do, if we choose to acknowledge and accept his love and reciprocate it back to him, then that love, his love, is also directly, powerfully directed through us to others who need it the most. When we accept that love from him, then it's actually Jesus living in and through us, displaying that love to the world around us who so desperately needs it. Let's say it together. God's love to me, God's love through me. 1 John chapter 4 paints a wonderful picture of this. It says, dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his son, his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. This is what real love is. It's not our love for God. It's God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place to take away our sins. Dear friends, 
if God loved us that much, we should also love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, this is so powerful, if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made perfect in us. So, God's love must be continually growing and overflowing in us. And one of the most effective ways this happens is through community. Did you know that the word community means common unity? Community means common unity. So God's love is relational, meaning it is to be shared. It means it's meant to be experienced together. Whether on a Sunday morning or during the week in a small group, it is together that our ability to grasp God's love deepens. And as there is more and more of God's love in us, then there is less and less room for me, less room for my selfishness, less room for my self-centeredness. My life becomes all about God and others and less about me, which is a good thing. And in this area, I'm about three steps forward and about two steps back. So I hope you're doing a little better than I am. And some of you have heard this story before from my marriage, but it definitely bears repeating. So my wife and I married just over a year. We're cuddling in a warm bubble bath with candles and romantic music and the stars visible through the skylight above. And she's leaning her head back against my chest and shoulder and I'm thinking of further romantic possibilities. And then it happens. She looks back and up at me with these sweet, innocent eyes and asks in the most loving tone possible, Honey, do you love me? And I paused. (laughs) What can I say about the pause? Never good. Husbands, it most likely leads to much pain or to death. (laughs) And if the pause wasn't enough to completely nuke the entire evening, I dug my grave even deeper. I responded, well, if you mean, do I love you because we're married and I'm supposed to, then yes. But if you mean, do I feel in love with you then? Uh, No. So, women, you know that men can often be slow and downright ignorant. But I got the gold medal that night. The temperature in in the tub and the room dropped about 100 degrees instantly. Any further romantic possibilities were off the table for a long time. And the next morning, we were in marriage counseling with our pastor, oh, who happens to be her father. (laughs) So he's looking across the desk at his daughter who is bawling, and she wants divine retribution handed out. And then he looks across to this poor 
dumb boy. And he's trying not to laugh, and he shakes his head and says, Son, there'll be many times in life that you don't feel in love with your wife. It's best you keep those thoughts to yourself. (laughs) So, Paul goes on and says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So Paul not only prays that we know God's love and that it would overflow and grow in us, but that we'd also grow in knowledge and understanding as well. So why does he pray that? Well, because love is more than a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. In our current society, the word love is used so carelessly, very flippantly, so casually, and it ends up being only about an emotion. Yet we know that love is so much more than a feeling. Paul actually shifts the focus from love as just sentimental affection to love as behavior. So, number one, love is behavior that is based on the knowledge, understanding, and truth of God's word. And number two, love is behavior that is based, um, love is behavior that is both pure, meaning that it comes from the right motives, And it is blameless, meaning it's not offensive or hurtful to others. So, number one, love is behavior that is based on the knowledge, understanding, and truth of God's word. So, I want you to meet truth, which is love's best friend. And I love the way this is paraphrased. 1 Corinthians 16 says, truth, yes, truth is love's delight. It's so cool because truth is what provides love with safe boundaries. Truth provides love with safe boundaries. Because if you cut loose love and feelings from the anchor of God's knowledge and truth, it means you'll drift wherever the current culture takes you. And it is the most dangerous, irresponsible thing you could do. For example, you can feel out of your love, out of love with your spouse and feel in love with someone who isn't your spouse. A parent feels they should give their child everything they want. Or a parent uh, feels they should validate every confusing feeling that a child has, or you feel too tired to go to work, or you feel like ignoring the red light, or you feel like hurting someone because you feel so angry. Love needs truth, moral knowledge. It must have it. Everywhere we look today, Society is rejecting moral truth and validating feelings above all. Jesus tells us in John 8.32 that it is the knowledge of truth that will set us free. So our goal is to maintain the same wise 
discerning balance that Jesus had between love and truth. For the broken and hurting, Jesus always led with love and finished with truth. He was a champion of the downtrodden, and he was a great dispenser of moral truth. Truth without love condemns, and love without truth gives license. So truth without love condemns, and love without truth gives license. So number two, love is behavior that is both pure, meaning that it's coming from right motives, and blameless. It's not offensive or hurtful to others. So this is all about unselfish love. And it occurs when our motives are right and we are not causing offense to others. Now don't get me wrong, the word of God will bring offense all on its own. So we don't need to purposely bring offense. We should never purposely bring offense to others. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, clearly shows us that when our love and motives are pure, then our love is patient, it's kind, it isn't selfish, it doesn't demand its own way. It's all about putting others first. It's about showing Christ's love in us to others. Paul says this is to be a lifestyle, something we continually do until Christ comes back, or if we go up before he comes down, then at least until that time. So, Let's say it together, God's love to me, God's love through me. Paul wraps it up and says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Our musicians can go ahead and come back up. Paul says that what really matters What really matters is that we need to pray that we grow and increase in love. And when that love is anchored in truth and knowledge and understanding, and our motivation is pure and gentle, not causing offense to others, but building up and encouraging one another, then we are producing fruit in our lives The world notices and God is glorified. In other words, when we know God's love and we grow in God's love, then we show God's love to the world around us and he gets the glory. So first we know God's love, then we grow in God's love, and then we show God's love to the world around us. God's love to me, God's love through me. In closing, I want to show how important it is that we are praying that we increase and overflow in love. And as a bonus, there's actually this cool little prophetic aspect to it. Because you see, in John 17, Jesus prays for us, and it's a model prayer, and it's 
all about the purpose of increasing and overflowing love. And his great desire is that each and every one of us, that we would become one, we would become unified, even as him and his father are one. He prays that we, his followers, his family, would have incredible common unity. We would have incredible community based on God's love. And we would be deeply loving and caring for each other at church or in small groups, in in relationship. And when we are modeling Christ's love together as a family, the broken and hurting world around us that is so craving and desperate for love and acceptance and desiring significance and hungry to be in community, they will also see and experience the powerful reality of God's love. As they do, the greatest miracle of all occurs and their hearts are transformed and we see a huge harvest brought into God's kingdom. How do I know this is prophetic and yet to happen? Because can we honestly say that the church worldwide, the body of Christ, is in such unity and loves and cares for each other so much that the world is amazed? No, we can't sadly say that yet. But it's beginning. It's coming. Many years ago, I worked in the, the print industry as a, as a graphic designer and I had a large variety of clients and the majority of whom were repeat clients that you actually develop a, a friendship and a relationship with. And one of the ones, uh, customers I consistently worked with was this grouchy, kind of miserable, hard to love guy in his 50s with a couple failed marriages and broken relationships with his kids. Just a hard, disappointing life in general. In spite of all of this, I really felt God give me a genuine love for him. And so I tried my best to always be cheerful and nice and, and accommodating and show him love regardless of how he acted. I think he may have liked me too, but it was really hard to tell. And after knowing him for several years, he was diagnosed with serious cancer. I think it was brain cancer. He deteriorated quickly and the Holy Spirit kept nudging me to talk to him about God's love, to pray for him in person. Yet I just couldn't get up the courage to do so. Eventually, he was too sick to work and continue his business, so he no longer came by and instead was confined to his house waiting to die. The Holy Spirit never let up, gently pushing me to go talk to him. Finally, in a moment of desperation, I got together some printed material about God's love and salvation, and I looked up his address, and I drove to his house. As I walked up his steps, printed material in hand, I glanced through his living room window and saw him there, sitting in his lazy boy chair, skinny, weak, his body deteriorated, his head 
was bald from the chemo, and I panicked. My fear was greater than my love for him. So I put the material in his mailbox, and I left without ringing that doorbell. To this day, the image of him sitting alone there in that chair still haunts me, but more so the thought of never sharing God's love with him. That's why we need to pray and ask God for more of his love, so much of it that it overflows and pours out of us, overriding our fear, filling us with courage to reach a broken and hurting world around us. That's what really matters. And I don't want you to raise your hand unless you really mean it. But how many of you will sincerely commit to asking this week, God, for more of his love for you to give away to others? God's love, thank you. God's love to me. God's love through me. Let's stand. I also feel this morning that there may be some of you that have never known God's love or it's been a long time since you felt God's love and I feel that God wants to fill you with his love this morning. He wants to pour his love into you. So I want us to bow our heads. If you're open to receiving that, I want you to hold out your hands. Father, I pray this morning that you would pour your love into each and every heart here, each and every uh, life, that no matter what they've gone through, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're going through now, no matter what they may face in the future, that you would fill them with your love, Father, so that it overflows to a hurting and broken world. But first, they would know it. And they would feel it and experience it so they can say to others, I know what it's like. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced Christ's love. Or you've walked away from it and you want to experience it again. Well, I have great news for you. Jesus has been waiting for you. We're going to pray a simple prayer and I'd encourage you to pray along with me. There's nothing magical about it. It's just talking to God. So if you close your eyes with me and just, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. I want to feel that love. I need and want your love in my life. Thank you for dying for my sins. I am sorry for them and I invite you into my life and world today to give me a fresh start. Amen. Amen. If it's the first time you've prayed that and you'd like to know what life looks like with a fresh start, you can text us or we'd love for you to come up and talk with us after the service or just so you know, every single Sunday, if you have any prayer needs, any prayer requests, we are always here 
to pray with you at the end of church. So never hesitate if you need prayer or prayer for someone else. And I want to invite you downstairs for snacks and coffee so that we can get to know you better. But first, my blessing prayer for you today is from what we read and uh, studied this morning. So again, if you'd like to receive it, just hold out your hands and be open to God's blessing this morning. So Calvary Community Church, I pray that your love will grow more and more, that you have knowledge and understanding with your love, that you will see the difference between what really matters and what doesn't, and you will choose what really matters, that you will be pure and blameless for the coming of Christ, that your life will be full of the many good works that are produced by Jesus Christ to bring glory and praise to God. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, and remember, you are God's love to the world around you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.